First, I just want you to know, whoever's listening, is you are worthy of love. You are deserving of love. And if you're seeking your soulmate, your soulmate is seeking you. It's a universal principle. Hello, and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Sarika Jane. Sarka is a love advisor and dating coach to successful go-getter South Asian millennials. Her unique approach encompasses everything from uncovering relationship patterns to closing one's X-files to practicing self-love and mindfulness in relationships, all with the goal of inspiring people to live the lives they've dreamed about, experiencing profound love, success, and fulfillment. Sarka's background includes working in the corporate world and on Wall Street for over 15 years before deciding to pursue her dream of full-time of creating a movement around healthy love and empowerment over 10 years ago. In this conversation, we discuss a lot, including Sarka's turning point in visiting and working with a psychic after her engagement ended and how she met her husband 90 days later as well as the importance of holding space for your internal baggage in order to heal. So just in time for Valentine's Day, don't miss this episode with Sarika Jane and hear her amazing tips and strategies on love and dating. Sarika, welcome to South Asian Stories. We are so thrilled to have you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be connecting with you. Yes, we are thrilled to have you. And for everyone who's heard the background before this, you know, Sarka is the premier love and dating coach. And she, you know, in in a world where South Asians need the help, I know my friends, me included at, at some point in my life, like this is something that's much needed. So we're so excited to delve into all your tips and strategies, but I want to wind the clock back and start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about your childhood where you grew up and, and and how South Asian your family was? Sure. So I was born in DC, but when I was two, I moved to Dallas, Texas. My dad, uh, he's a geophysicist at Mobile. That's where he used to work in Dallas. And so we grew up as one of the few Jane families in Dallas and probably the only South Asian family I could think of in Carrollton, which is where I lived. So, um, you know, I my parents were quite traditional, not like, you know, bringing straight Indian values into our house, but they really wanted to make sure that we grew up with learning Hindi. And my dad started a Jain temple. We took dance classes and I was the eldest of three daughters. So I would say, you know, fitting in as a skinny, dark skinned South Asian <laughs> in my class and being like a nerd and being very um, like, I wasn't very loud. I was very, I don't think I was introverted, but I was shy, you know? So it was, you know, I had that school experience, which was great by the way. It's just that, you know, I was the only South Asian. Um, And then we had a huge Indian community, you know, where we would go every Friday and Saturday night to someone's house and, you know, all the, South Asians were there. And then on Sundays we would go to temple. Yeah. But that was kind of my childhood growing up in Dallas, Texas. And yeah. Let me ask you this. So, you know, a lot of people deal with um, identity, right. Mm -hmm. And not know exactly who you are, especially um, growing up. Did you deal with identity of like, am I Indian? Am I American? Is it somewhere in between? And I'm more curious to know because you're a dating coach, what was your dating life growing up? Did your parents allow you to date? A lot of people have to deal with that. Right. So exactly. I mean, um, I had identity issues up the wazoo, right? I would yeah. go to India for three months at a time right. when I was young and I loved it. Like I loved being in India. I loved all, you know, because my family in India lived in joint families. And so I got so pampered and then I'd come back and I'd be like, why am I here? You know? Um, but then at the same time, I wanted to be Western. Like I wanted to listen to music and go for sleepovers. And mind you, this is all before I was 11. And my parents just 
wouldn't let me, at least with non-South Asians. And looking back, I, I totally understand it. You know, I have two girls of my own, so I, I would be very careful too. Sure. But then I was just like, I'm trying to fit in and my parents are holding me back. So yes, there was a little bit of anger and frustration um, around that. And so, yeah, I would say I, that would be my experience in terms of dating. Um, it's so funny, you know, when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, kids in my class started talking about dating and having boyfriends. Right. And I was, I wanted a boyfriend too. So I wrote something in my diary and my mom found it and she started reading it out loud. And oh my God, it was oh, just man. the most mortifying experience <laughs> yes. ever. Right. Yes. Um, and so by then anyways, my dad had pretty much decided that he wanted us to move back to India. So when I was 11, he put a for sale sign in front of our house and we were leaving. And that was, by the way, my biggest fear was to move to India. Even though I love going to India, I just felt like going to India was backwards, right? Most immigrants come to America for sure. a better life. Sure. I was like, oh my God, there goes my life, you know, and it's a punishment. So that's how I viewed it moving yeah. back to India. And it's crazy because all those experiences shape who you are, right? right. Like it, like you probably at the time were like, what am I doing? But you came out of it probably stronger. Oh, um, and it was more the about best your culture. Yeah, it was the best. I mean, I looking back, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad we had that adventure. Yeah, we moved to South India to Chennai. And again, we're not South Indian. So moving to Chennai was totally just a different experience, you know, and um, that right. time, India was just starting to bring in privatization. So you know, all the big cities in India were still pretty, at least Chennai was, you know, it was like a big rural town, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, beautiful. I mean, amazing culture and people. So here we were Texans trying to fit in and trying to communicate and integrate into the classroom. And we went to like an Indian school in India, like, uh, you know, one of the, um, Indian Google, yeah schools. sorry yeah. my nose is running yeah no that that that's probably such a you know you appreciate the experience when you look back but probably when you got there it was just like whoa it's like a tidal wave of new language new culture yes you know new everything wow yeah um so you were in India then you came back to the states at some point? yeah so when I was in 11th um what happened was that my high school was close to the U.S. embassy so I used to go after school every day to the U.S. Embassy and study for my SATs there. Oh. <laughs> and um, randomly, like I was like, I just want to go to America because even though I was a really good student in Chennai, in India, like I had like 95% marks, you know, which is pretty good for India, right? Yeah. That still wasn't good enough to get me into the top colleges in India. Like that's how competitive it is to be in India. Right, 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 right. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need to go to go back to America to study, uh, you know, to get a more well-rounded education and yeah. whatever. I had my own preferences um, and I was concerned whether I would get into a good college in India. So I just started studying for my SATs and applying to colleges in America. And I didn't even tell my parents, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I was just seeing what would happen. Like, yeah just give it a shot. And there was no internet then. Wow. So there was no way to do research on which colleges were good or not. I yeah. didn't know anybody who went to America to study. Actually, I did. I knew one guy when I was in India. Um, actually, yeah. So he had gone. So I was like, oh, maybe I can too, you know? Yeah. So um, that's how it happened. Um, yeah. And so then you went to the States for yes. school, right? Yeah. Um, I and then uh, I want to fast forward a, a little yeah. bit because um, then you took a pretty traditional path, right? And, you know, and South Asian stories, like, you know, a lot of people choose paths because A, it's uh, lucrative, like they think they're going to make a lot of money or B, the parents say, hey, you need to do this, right? So it looks like you took a traditional path outside of school. Talk us about that decision. Sure. So honestly, Samir, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I, <laughs> I literally just didn't know what to study and I just studied what made sense. So I was yeah. like, okay, if I study computer science engineering, then at least I can 
you know, have a rationale for why I went to America, why, you know, that the degree's worth it. Right. Um, and that I might be able to create something out of this. Like, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. Yeah. So I did that. So I studied computer science um, and I did two minors, which was great. One was at Wharton, the business school, and then the other one was environmental studies. So I got to, you know, add in a little non, you know, yeah. engineering stuff. Right. And, um, and then I honestly, I was just like going with the flow because, you know, you're doing this podcast around alternative careers. I had no idea what an alternative career could right. even look like. Right? right. So I was just like, okay, after that, I'll figure out what's next and what's next and what's next. And that's how I did, you know, did my career. Yes. So let's talk about that. So it sounded like you did management consulting, which is, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a pretty intense type of job, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of travel and, you know, intense hours. Um, were you seeing someone at the time? Were, 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 you, were you dating someone? And how are you? I'm curious to know where the spark of like, <laughs> uh, of this started to happen. Was it early? Yeah. Does, but did it, does a certain thing that happened that made you start thinking about this could be something that's uh, non-alternative for me. <laughs> yeah. So in the background of all of this career stuff was my dating life, you sure, know? Sure. Um, so when I was a kid, I used to fantasize about dating when, you know, when I was in my teens, I was like thinking about boys like anyone would. Right. Um, and so, and then when I went to college, I dated a Russian guy, a German guy. And when I told my parents, they were not happy. <laughs> You know, and so, um, you know, when I was around 21 or 22, they were like, okay, we have your bio date already, Uh, you know, and so it's time you find a nice guy to settle down with. So I had that track going throughout my 20s, you know, and I, to be honest, looking back now, I was not relationship ready. Like, I was still, I was like a fourth grader in an adult body. That's how I view a lot of, a lot of us, right? We're not relationship ready. and. We're like thinking about marriage. And so um, I didn't go directly into management consulting. I worked on, you know, in IT on Wall Street. Then I went to the World Bank and then I went and did my MBA and then I went into consulting. And throughout all of this, it was like, when am I going to get married? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and was that, like the was constant. Was that pressure from you or from your parents? Right. So it was from my parents, but also I had this desire to find a partner. So it's like a mixture of fear and desire, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was dating people and that's the thing. That's one reason why I became a dating coach was I actually had a good time dating. I met a lot of great guys. I went and I got into relationships with guys that I thought were the one, you know? And so I thought I had nailed this. But yeah. what happened was that every time I got into a serious relationship, the guy would break up with me. So that was my wow. pattern. Yeah. Wow. So, that must have mm-hmm. been so hard to go through. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, multiple breakups and they break up with you. Um, right. You know, looking back, was there a pattern that you saw? Was You said, yes. you know, I love the quote. You said you were a fourth grader in your, in your, in your, in your love life. Did you see something that was happened repeatedly that you can pinpoint? Yeah, it, it, you know, as it turns out, so what happened, what was the breaking point for me was I got engaged to a wonderful Indian guy. He was everything on my checklist and uh, he was a doctor older than me, successful, kind, and all of those things. And um, after a month after our engagement, he broke up with me and then I was devastated. And when I asked him why you broke up with me, he told me, you're too controlling. You push your loved ones away from you. Um, I don't trust you. I don't feel safe around you. And you still have core issues you need to deal with. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he gave me that. It was after a lot of prodding because I was just like, why, why? I don't understand. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sure that was super hard to hear. But yeah. you know, now that you have time and space to reflect, was yeah. it right? Oh, absolutely. This is why I do the coaching work I do yeah. is because, you know, we don't realize how we're sabotaging our relationships, you know? Yeah. And I thought I was a really nice, happy-go-lucky 
person, but I had my dark side. I had my shadows that I still hadn't integrated. Mm, mm. So what happened? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I I was going to say the reason I knew that this was a pattern was, you know, after that night, I cried in my sheets and I just wanted to end my life. Like, I was just like, this is it. Like I've done everything I can in my love life. I've read every book. I took dating courses. I was coaching people in dating, you know? And I was like, I've, you know, I've given it my best shot. And yet I I think I just want to end this. And, um, I'm sorry. That, that must be really hard. So you said <laughs> something interesting. Yeah. You were dating, you were helping people date, coaching, dating, and yes. this was happening in the background. Yeah. Wow. That is powerful. Like, it's yeah. like, sometimes I think about, you know, you know, when I give advice, it's like, it's so easy when I give it to other people. But when I try to do the same advice for me, it, I'm like, sometimes it doesn't stick. And it's like, you know, so this is kind of a scenario of that where you're helping other people, probably they rely on you a lot and yeah. you can't figure things out on your own life. Wow. Totally. And I was doing dating coaching as a side gig, sure. you know, and I had helped people find their partners. So, you know, I was good on the dating front, but not in the keeping the relationship front. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So how did you go from there? Like what? Happened right. Next? So then what happened was as I was crying in my sheets, a voice came from my heart that said, I need spiritual healing. And I didn't know what that meant. So then the very next day, I roamed the streets and I saw a sign that said psychic. And I walked in and this chain smoking Romanian gypsy woman read my energy field. And she said, you're a magnet for heartbreak (laughs) because of your toxicity and your thinking and your beliefs, your low self-esteem and your heart and sacral chakras are blocked. And if you don't heal from this relationship, then you're going to keep attracting the same patterns over and over in your life. Wow. And that was my turning point. So when you hear that, did you, what did you do with that information? I said, sign me up. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I started working with her um, very intensely and she lived across the street from me. No joke. Wow. And I spent almost every day with her for yeah and how long did it take um because what what i'm curious about is a lot of people probably are in a similar situation to you mm-hmm. and they're probably like what does it take to break out of this funk uh, like 90 days yes. that's all it took for me it was that's why i now call it the 90 day soulmate plan which is a book i'm writing and hopefully publishing this year but it took me 90 days to get over it you know to get over the heartbreak to learn what i needed to to heal my karmic wounds, you know, ties and, um, to love myself. That yes. was what I needed to learn was how to love myself. Can you talk mm-hmm. us through some of the biggest things you learned <laughs> in that time? Like that's probably such a, uh, seminal part of your life that you like, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to hear how you grew in that time. Yeah. Oh my God. So intensely. Right. Um, so I first started with just meditating And I had done a Vipassana course before. I don't know if you heard of Vipassana, but it's 10 days silent meditation. And I'd done it in India after business school. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. And when I go back to America, I'm going to meditate two hours every day. Like I was like, this is it, you know? And then of course I came back to America that time and I was working in consulting and it went out the door. I was partying, I was dating, you know, I was, I love partying. Like that was my life. Yeah. yeah. In New York City, you know? Yeah. So um, and then the tension of finding a partner. So I didn't have time to meditate then. But then when I came face to face with my trauma, all I could do was meditate, you know, and at first it was hard. Um, and she gave me healing stones. Can you see me? I think you froze. Okay. Yeah, You're fine. You. Okay. Um, and so you know, she would just say, like, I want you to just focus on breathing. <laughs> and, um, and then the very, the, around the same time, I read an article in a newspaper around this Buddhist monastery close to New York City, with the teacher named Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you've heard of him. But he's a Vietnamese and Buddhist teacher. And he started a monastery close by. And people there were practicing mindful eating in silence. 
And I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> so I signed up for a young adults retreat there. And um, my sister took me for a meditation retreat like that weekend. Like it, all of these things started happening in my yeah. life, which I would have rejected before. You know, I would have been like, I don't have time for that now. I yeah. like it. I like the idea of it, but it never seemed right. And then when I needed it, it all started just coming together, you know? Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. makes me think of the quote of like, you just need to communicate to the world of what you need and things start to happen where you least expect it. And it sounds like that was the case for you. So yeah. I'm trying to, you know, picture the, the, the scene, right? After 90 days, you're coming out <laughs> as a changed person, right? Yeah. What, what do you do with that? Like with this new Sarka, do you jump back into the dating pool? Did you go full-time in, you know, doing this, this business? Like mm-hmm. where did you go from there? Right. So, you know, I went through this process of learning to love myself, healing with my ex, figuring out if he was the right partner for me, because I still wanted him back, by the way. Um, and so I had to go through a process, which I now call closing the X-Files. And um, learning how to, uh, so I, you know, I talk about cutting energetic cords with him, with my parents, with, you know, basically my past life, like reconciling anything, my guilt, my shame, my self-doubt, like all of these parts of me that I hadn't looked at and like learning to love the good, the bad and the ugly. And I got involved in service activities in New York City. There's a organization called service space that I became a part of. And so that was my life, you know, even though during those 90 days, I was working with the, with the healer, but then also doing service. And I started dating again. And this time, higher quality men just started approaching me, I would meet men at events, you know, walking down the street. And I was open, like this time, I didn't have a checklist. I wasn't like, okay, he has to be Indian and this and that. I was like, I'll just go out with any nice guy. Really. I'm just here to have a good time. Yeah. And I'm in no rush to get married. I was 32, but I was like, great. I don't need a marriage to be happy. Like I'd reached that point, you know, and if it happens, it's got to be healthy. I'm just not doing it. (laughs) You know, you know, I love that because um, so much of our culture is based on timelines, right? You got to graduate this, do this, get this job, get married, get, have kids. Like everyone is operating about this timeline, but if you really peel the onion back, go deep into the, the whys behind that it's self-constructed or parents constructed or society constructed. And if you can break that, you know, you know, you sounds like you found like, Hey, I'm happy right now. I would like this, but I'm not, you know, broken because I don't have that. Like, I think that's such a powerful thing to, to be, have that mindset because otherwise, you know, you can spiral and not be in a great place. Totally. Um, We're unhappy because of all our missed expectations. Yes. yes. It's the, it's, I forget someone quoted like happiness is the difference between what you expect and what reality is or something like that. And accepting the difference. That's exactly right. Um, so good. So you were, um, you you know, you were in a better place. You're meeting high quality guys. From yeah. A, from a business standpoint, had you gone all in into, you know, being a dating coach, or where were you from that standpoint? No. So I I paused my side gig. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I feel like an imposter. Yeah. I clearly, don't know anything about love, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. You know, or I didn't. It's not that I said I'm never doing this. Um, I've always believed in well-being, so I explored business ideas around spiritual well-being, mental well-being, you know, and meditation and mindfulness and things like that. And by the way, it was during that time that I met my husband. So yes. I was at a meditation retreat. I, I used to host meditations at my place, and he would come and help out, and he would come early, he'd leave later. And uh, one time he brought flowers, and I'm like, huh. Is he interested? <laughs> you know, were you interested? Like, I'm, yeah, tell us the story. So, yeah, at first I wasn't. I wasn't interested in anyone, to be honest. You know, because I, I was turned off from dating. I was like, right. it, it was still ninety days since I'd broken up with that ex. You yeah. know, yeah. So, um, but it was my healer who was like, "You need to go out and date, like now." <laughs> 
And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm happy being single finally. And now you're telling me I need to date. Right. Ah, you know, so I started opening up to the possibilities of meeting guys again and just being open. And so when I saw my husband, I was like, I felt something like, like a flutter, but then I was like, okay, like he's, he's just like a good friend from my meditation community. Like no big deal. Um, and then, okay. So this is what he tells me what happened. Um, like two, three months later, we were at a retreat and he was across the room from me and he was sending me vibes. You are my queen. You are my queen. And he'd learned this at a Tony Robbins uh, experience that he'd been really? to. Wow. Yeah. And he had already made up his mind that he wanted to marry me. We were going to have two kids. He like visualized all of it. <laughs> Can you That's believe crazy. that? crazy. Yeah. yeah. And um, then he was like mirroring me, you know, so he was doing, he didn't, you know, it's not like he's a manipulative type of person. He was just using techniques that right. he'd learned of from that yeah. experience, you know? Yeah. And so I noticed him and I was like, huh, let me go up and talk to him. And, you know, we started talking, then we took this long walk and we walked for like four or five hours talking about everything, you know, and then we came back and then the next day I texted him and it was so organic, you know, and then nothing forced, nothing forced. It was just hanging out, like no so-called romantic interest. It was just like, huh, this guy's nice to be around and he likes to listen and you know hold space and he's cool so um and then I texted him like how about how about we do something outside the spiritual context and he said "Ooh, sure so he came up to New York City for the day and then we just spent the day walking around the city going to restaurants going you know taking the ferry to Staten Island and coming back like just a random yeah hanging out day and it was really sweet uh, he told me not to bring anything not to bring my purse my phone nothing he said whatever you want you can keep it in my backpack he he was carrying around a backpack then he carried food he you know he was just like i don't want you to have to worry about anything today yeah, yeah. wow um how did you feel after that like i i felt so held i was like yeah. Oh my God, this is so See, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's amazing. And, and I can't believe just the timeline in terms of 90 days after you had probably the, one of the most traumatic things in your life, you meet this wonderful guy who meets you where you are <laughs> and is, you know, and, and not only that, you were open to those experiences. Um, geez, yeah. that's, that's great. And then where do you guys take it from there? So then, and and mind you, like at that time he was unemployed. He also was exploring an alternative career path, which I wouldn't have respected earlier. Like earlier, I would have been like, oh, you know, a guy with a nice degree, with a nice education, I mean, a nice career, stability, blah, blah, blah. And at that time he was in between jobs. He was living at home with his family, uh, you know, and he was planning a 40-day Camino trek in Spain. I don't know if you've heard of Camino de Santiago, but it's a trek that you can do in Spain. And so he was doing, he was planning all this stuff. So he was going down an alternative path too. And so I actually kind of liked that. I was like, that sounds cool, you know? Um, And so he went away and we started emailing each other like every other day. And I was always excited to get his emails. And meanwhile, I told him, like, if you meet someone on your trek, I I support you. Like, I just want, after that, I decided that if a guy and I were to be together, we have to choose each other, you know, and we're going to keep both ways. Exactly. And if we need to keep dating other people just to know, which is something I recommend, by the way, to my clients is date other people, even if you've met the one, because you need to know in your heart that this person is right for you. And I love you said that because you said earlier that some of the pieces of feedback you got from your ex-fiance is you were too controlling and this, you know, allowed him and you to give the space to figure out, is this right for me? So I love that you took that to heart and, and 
clearly it had worked out for you. And, oh yeah. Uh, That's the biggest turn on for a guy, by the way. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you're still living a great life, dating people, like you're being a high valued person, you value yourself enough right. to give yourself the opportunities to have a good time, date people, you know, find the right partner for you, then that's the turn on for anybody. Right. 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 Wow. Okay. So, um, so things are going well, I want to go back to, you know, when did you decide to go to jump into this alternative <laughs> career fully? Like, at what point right. did you do that? So um, I kept staying at my current job until, and my, I was working with my healer that time. And she said, look, you're still doing different types of healing work. I would recommend you keep your job. And because it's important when you're starting something new. So I was thinking of starting something yeah. new, like, and I didn't know what love coaching, mindfulness teachings, like whatever yoga teacher training I'd done that. So, um, it was, it's important to keep your regular job as long as you can, right? because you don't want to have to worry about money when you're starting yeah. a new business. And so that's what I did. And I kept working with different, um, you know, intuitives and life coaches to try to help me figure out what my next step could be. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up finding this mentor, business mentor, and she, you know, she works on an energetic level and spiritual level and physical level. And she said, I think you need to go back to dating and love coaching. <laughs> and I was like, no. And she said, that's where your experience is. Like you turned your life around in I'm that area. Why you said no? Like, is that because you didn't want to hear that or what was going internally in your head? Yeah. So I think I felt very ashamed okay. of doing that because it wasn't a career path that a lot of people choose in general, right? Mm-hmm. And especially in the South Asian community, right. you're successful if you do engineering or I, you know, or being Business. a lawyer. Yeah, it's, doctor. Exactly. And so being a love and relationship coach or a dating coach felt like something I was, I couldn't just put my stick down. You know, yes. what did they say? Yeah. Lay yeah. my um, lay your claim to it. Um, exactly. And, and it's funny you say that because every single one of the people we talked to Sarka on this podcast has gone through that. And that's why it's, I think it's so important for people to hear that everyone deals with this imposter syndrome. And, but once you break through magic can happen, right? Cause you are doing something that you were called to do and it's breaking through the Again, as I say, society pressure, family pressure, your own pressure of saying it's okay to be different. It's yeah. okay to do something different. So, just wanted to highlight like what you struggle with. I've heard, we've uh, that's why I put this podcast together is to hear mm-hmm. stories like this. So, okay, you're the the coach tells you this is what you need to do. You're just like yeah. no, but then what happens? Then um, I I'm like okay, but I've you know, I'm going to do this. And so what happened was that I got married and, um, and then, you know, I took a month away from work. And at that time, uh, my company was laying off people. And so when I came back, um, my boss called me in and she said, I'm sorry, but we have to let you go. And I was like, yes, um, because I was transitioning. I think that's the thing is when you're transitioning from the corporate world to doing your own thing, you are waiting for the time that you can launch, but it's scary, right? It is. And, it's, and they yeah. make the decision for you. You're like, yes. Well, and okay. you get severance. Yes. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, again, that's something I would advise is if you can have a transition from your job then that's great. Right. And so I, yeah, I got severance and that gave me some more time and leeway. And so the very first thing I did was call up a business coach. I'd met this Gujarati guy at a conference uh, around coaching. I went to a coaching conference and I met him. And and by the way, a lot of relationships happen through synchronicity, which is also something I really believe. It's like in your heart, if you if you resonate with someone, which I did when I met him, I resonated. And so the very next day I called him up. And I hired him as my business coach and boom, 
I got my myself up and running in New York City. And I started hosting monthly workshops around finding your soulmate. And my husband helped me like, you know, he was always at the door handing out roses. <laughs> really sweet, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. My number one supporter in the work that I do. And um, so that's it. And I started coaching clients privately. And and this was in 2015 when I made the full transition. That's wonderful. And mm-hmm. it's scary to go on your own, but yeah. it sounds like it's been very empowering for you, which has been amazing. So let's say I am someone who's struggling with dating or finding the my um, finding the one for me. And I say, Sarka, help me. What would you say to me? Like, walk me through the the plan or the steps if someone hired you or someone similar to you who's a South Asian dating and love coach. Yeah. um, So basically, I would do a love assessment, you know, just to kind of see where you are in terms of your emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. I would try to understand what your relationship with yourself is. I would look at what your dating patterns are, or if you're in a relationship, what are the relationship patterns you're seeing? Yeah. And then I would look at like, how aligned are you in your life with this partnership that you're seeking? Passion's really important. And, you know, just being alive and turned on in your life is important. And, uh, and then I would ask about your dating and relationship experiences and your relationships with men. So a lot of times I work with women, although I've worked with men too. So I just try to get an understanding of like, what is your communication Mm -hmm. patterns? Like what, you know, what are your relationships with the opposite gender or, or if you're dating the same gender, then, you know, that, and then I would put together a plan and usually I offer a five-step program and the five steps or the five pillars I focus are focus on our self-love. So developing this unshakable relationship with yourself. And then a process that I call closing your X-Files. So just cutting any cords or releasing baggage that you no longer need. Most of us are walking around with baggage. Right. Right. Um, Guilt and shame, you know, Um, and heartbreak. And a person on average, goes through three heartbreaks in their life. So if you don't heal from that, then you're just going to be like, um, you're going to be sad inside. Yeah. You're not going to be really open. You're going to have a wall around your heart. Yeah. So I help release that. And I have a process for that. And it's very quick. It'll save you years from therapy. I'll say that. Like do therapy, great. But I take people through a process that allows people to do it within a couple of months. And where did you learn this? Is this something that um, you're adapting something that you've read about or, or, or got, or is this something that you've proprietary that you've thought up yourself? Yeah, it's, it's pretty proprietary. It's from my own experience, okay. but then what I've cool. done is I've reversed engineered my experience. You know, I have an engineering mindset at, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So I went and studied with a psychologist in Boston and he, he, he offers a psycho-spiritual framework around psychology. And so I studied with him. I did yoga. I did meditation. I did healing. So energy healing and feminine, you know, sacred feminine leadership. So I kind of just threw in all of those and then sure. created my own. Like a cornucopia of all the inputs yes. you've got throughout your life. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, and I will say my parents are alternative too, by the way. So um, what happened, and I get my inspiration from my parents. Mm-hmm. My mom is a naturopathic healer, mm-hmm. you know, so she's a housewife turned, you know, supporting people in naturopathic healing. And she started doing that in her fifties, you know, or forties maybe. And um, my dad, he retired early so that he could spend time with us. So he retired when he was in his fifties and he's been living in India. They, my parents live in India and, you know, they've just been living off of like stocks basically and serving and living an, an alternative lifestyle. Good. So I've Good always, time. I've always looked up to them, you know, not always, but in the more recent years. Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah. And I think 
having mentors or people you look up to is so mm-hmm. critically important to being able to do things that are off the beaten path. And that's why, you know, this podcast means so much to me is if you, if you don't have people in your immediate circle, like your parents, friends, friends of friends that are doing things that you want to do, there are virtual mentors like this that can inspire you to follow your dreams and do something that you want to do. Um, I want to hear about now that you've done this full-time, you've gone all in, tell us about some of the highs where you felt, wow, I can't believe I did X, Y, and Z for this person. But also tell us about some of the lows, because I want people to have eyes wide open of what your experience is like, both positive and negative. And you're talking about in the coaching work specifically? Yeah, and doing being a love and dating coach. Okay. Like, tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, the highs are watching my clients get married. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. And I've gotten invited to so many weddings, but I haven't gone yet for different reasons. I was always pregnant or the little one or whatever. Um, and so, you know, just, yeah, that's a high. And, and even a person being like, wow, like I'm running a course right now, an online course. And within two and a half weeks, one woman in the course has already started talking to a guy. And then another one just wrote me and she's like, I can't believe I'm over my ex. Like, I didn't think your process worked, but I'm over him and I'm actually excited about dating. So it's so cool to have those like little, you know, breakthroughs. Um, And some of the lows are, it's not a low by the way, but it's supporting people through um, healing and I'm happy for it. And I have several clients like that, right? They they're ending a relationship and moving into hopefully something new. And so Mm -hmm. being there for someone's uncertainty and having faith and trust in God, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm just helping facilitate a process, but, you know, I'm really depending on the universe to do its magic. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. And, um, you know, has there been a time when someone's like, Sarka, my situation is unique. Um, or like, it's not something that you've worked with in the past. How, how do you deal with that? Or is, is there commonalities that you see that will apply no matter what? Yeah, I've had clients who, and this is when I first started coaching women. Um, I had a client who's, who was abused by her own father. And at that time I was doing in-person coaching sessions. And this one time she like screamed and yelled at me. And she, it was almost like she became abusive towards me. And, um, and I knew it was just her childhood stuff coming out. And I just sat there and I held space for her. I didn't, I wasn't afraid, Yeah, you know, and that was a rare experience by the way, but that just shows like how much emotion there is that's trapped in us. And so having the ability to um, support people through emotional stuff is, you know, is really important. That's so great. And now she's happily married. So I'm happy for her that, you know, she was able to process that. Yes. Yes. I, you know, um, you know, I've been to therapy, I've been to marriage counseling, I've done all those things. And it's one of those things that you realize that if you keep everything in here, it can come out in ways that you least expect it. And it's great that I love you. The word you said is like holding space for someone and holding space for your partner, holding space for mm-hmm. yourself, um, just to allow yourself to take all that out. So you can bring healing back into you. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think people like you are just so important and they, and, and much needed that people, that people don't realize that, um, how powerful that stuff can be to to transform your life. I think it's um, just so vital. I was I yeah. was thinking about it before our call today. I was like, I just want to tell people to face their dark shit. You know, sorry, I use that word, yeah. but face face it. You know, have support while facing it because once you get through it, you will come out just a brighter and more, you know, heart open person. Yes, yes. No, that's that's right. Um, and it's it's hard, but it's required, right. For growth. Yeah. Um, the hardest things go ahead. You had asked me earlier, like what was another challenge in the work yes, I'm doing? Yeah. It's applying it in my own life, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. and not feeling like an imposter. I think imposter syndrome runs 
throughout, like no matter what alternative career path you're on, you're always going to, not always, but a lot of times you're going to feel like an imposter because you're working on the same stuff that you're coaching people in or helping mm-hmm. others in, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're developing a whole new, you know, profession or mindset or methodology that you're testing and you're learning for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, doing that in my marriage has been like, I've gone through my ups and downs. You yeah. Know? Can you give us an example of that where you're like, I've, I've brought something back to my marriage that needed to be done that you might've coached someone on. Um, every day. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, you know, I've written this ebook called five mistakes women make in love. And for instance, men need to be needed, respected and trusted and learning how to trust my man has been a huge growth for me, Mm. learning to be vulnerable with him, learning to ask him for help, um, learning to respect him as an individual. I used to like roll my eyes at men. I would think I was superior, (laughs) you know? Um, And it was hard for me to depend on men because I had grown up thinking that women were powerless in the marriage. So I had my own preconceived notions that I was bringing into a relationship without realizing it. And so a lot of this is unwiring for me Yeah, yeah. and unlearning. Yeah. And, and for him to grow through this process too, like he, he's growing as a husband and partner and father. And so am I. Yeah, no. And I think, um, I think that's powerful stuff of when you realize that, my relationship is always something that I need to be improving. When we went to therapy, there was something that the therapist said that really stuck with both of us is you constantly need to water the relationship, right? Pour things on it to help it grow. Because otherwise, you know, you step away, you look back, the grass is dead and, or, or, you know, in severe shape. And it's because you didn't water your relationship mm-hmm. every day, which um, was something that was really powerful for us to, to think about as, as a metaphor. Um and I love that you do therapy, by the way, Christian and I love couples therapy. I highly recommend it to any couple. Like, I just don't know how marriages survive without therapy. I, I just don't know. the same way. We really? Same way I'm so because, passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and once going through it, it's like, yeah. um, and, and it goes back to what we talked about as stigma, right? And, right. and I think along with love and dating, there's enough stigma, but a broader thing is mental health is something mm-hmm. in our South Asian community. We don't fully appreciate how important it is and mm-hmm. how, how much value. So yeah, we've, my wife and I have gotten so much value out of, out of couples therapy. Um, and, and, and I think, um, you know, because there's a difference between understanding yourself and understanding them, but also how you operate as a unit together mm-hmm. and, and, and where you find outages and someone who's trained to find that mm-hmm. uh, someone like you or, or anyone else is, it's just really eye opening. Mm-hmm. I, um, I want to talk about like, what are you excited about as, 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 as something that you said you were writing a book, you know, you've, mm-hmm. done, you've done eBooks. Tell us what's next for you. Can you give us a peek under the tent on, on things that are in the, the pipeline that, that, that people can be excited to see? Yeah. So the first thing is I'm going to be publishing a book that I've written called the 90 day soulmate plan, get out of your own way and attract the higher love you deserve. Uh, I have a publisher. I have everything set up. I just need to find a publishing date for it this year and commit to it. (laughs) Um, And the second thing is I want to work with South Asian communities around love. And I don't know what that looks like, but that's something I'm opening up uh, the possibility for this year. So yeah. Are your clients, uh, can they be anywhere or, or where, where? Oh yeah. Locals? Around the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything's awesome. virtual now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The new age we live in. Yeah. That's awesome. And um, I, you know, before we transition to our rapid fire questions, like, you know, what are just the, the top three things you want people to remember about if you're South Asian and didn't love, like just can you give us some rapid fire advice if people just want to start somewhere, you can give them something to think about. Um, in terms of dating, dating or love or 
just okay. things that if you just wanted to start with something, okay. give us something to start with. So first, I just want you to know, whoever's listening, is you are worthy of love. You are deserving of love. And if you're seeking your soulmate, your soulmate is seeking you. It's a universal principle. Okay. It's not a numbers game. It's really, there is someone out there that wants to be with you, period. I just want you to know that. And sometimes you have to get out of your own way for that. Mm -hmm. You know, he could be, or she could be like in your same town (laughs) or connected through a friend and you won't see them unless you just clear some of your limiting beliefs, you know? So that's number one. Just want people to know that they're worthy of love. Number two is you have to build an impeccable relationship with yourself. You have to know that you were a queen or king, like love and respect yourself because the way you love yourself is the way others will love you. Yeah. Again, it's a universal principle. Okay. Um, and the third is, is when, when you're excited to meet someone, start dating, you know, spend 30 minutes a day. So I, I give people kind of just like take, do dating, but in sustainable, develop sustainable habits around that area. You know, spend 30 minutes a day on dating. That's it. No more, no less. If you feel like spending more time, great, but don't let it take up like your mind share, allow it to be one aspect of your life, but start creating your love garden, kind of like the garden that you were talking about with your wife. You have to start creating that love garden. What do you want in it? Do you want compassion? Do you want equanimity, joy, understanding? Start planting those things and taking out weeds. And that's the work you can do. You can be a gardener so that you can start, you know, inviting that partnership into your life. That's great. Um, um, what, what popped in my mind is like 30 minutes a day, someone might be like, oh, is that it? Is that all you need? Like, how would you spend that 30 minutes? Because I have lots of friends who are like, Samir, all I do is swipe on these random apps and it's not going anywhere. Is that, how would you approach that strategically, those 30 minutes? Yeah. Well, first I would look at, personally, I would look at the person's dating profile to see if it resonates okay. with what, you know, what they're seeking and okay. who they are. Yeah. Some people just put up whatever. On, it's so funny how prepared we are in our careers, but how lackadaisical we are with our online dating. Right. Like, not intentional. Not intentional. You have yeah. to put your best foot forward put hot pictures of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Bring your values in your in your write up. Yeah. And then start having like quality conversations with women. If you really like a, a woman or a guy, I I invite men and women to reach out to each other. It's not just women needing to be chased, you know. Women can also reach out to guys. And um and just like bring out something quality in the person's profile, like talk about their profile and ask them questions around it. Curious and fun questions. Maybe tease a person a little. It's okay to flirt. You could flirt online, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So bring a little bit of like how you would communicate with someone in person, bring it online too. Yeah. And if you're having, if you're not having a good experience then work with a dating coach, work with a person who's an expert on online profiles, like whatever it is, get support in this area of your life. I love that. I love that. Um, and you're so right about like people like think this is just going to happen out of thin air, but it requires work. Like, do you think your career is just going to just pop up? No, you put in the time and effort and, um, intentionality and, and, uh, you know, and if this is a priority for you, you got to approach it with the same sort of sort of mindset. Absolutely. That's wonderful advice, Arka. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I want to transition to our rapid fire questions. And these are questions we've asked each of our guests and we've got some really, really interesting responses. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. So the first question is, um, is there a item that you bought recently? It could be big or small that has dramatically improved your life. So I wanted to talk about the book, Dying to Be Me by Anita Morjani. Have you heard of it? No. It's such a great book. And I was just talking about it last night with my husband and his sister. Um, It's just this book. It's a real life story about an Indian woman who had a near-death experience. And she came, She and, and long story short, she was diagnosed with cancer. And 
the worst kind of cancer. Like, I don't know. It was just, I read this book a few years ago, but I'm bringing it up because it was something I wanted to share with the audience. Um, she grew up with a lot of stigma and limiting self-beliefs and it related to Indian culture and growing up as a foreigner in Hong Kong, like all sorts of, you know, identity related stuff and parental pressures. And so she developed such negative thinking about herself that she created cancer in her body. This is her story, by the way. And then she went into a coma and had a near death experience. And in that experience, she learned so much. She learned that her parents actually love her. She learned that her body created the disease based on her beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. And she came and then you know, she was, she had a choice. Does she want to come back or not? If she wanted to come back, she'd have to let go of all those limiting beliefs. And she did. And she came back and she started healing very quickly. Like her doctors were amazed. And so that's what her book is about is like how she began to love herself again and how self-love became her, um, her catharsis, her tool. And that's what she teaches now. I would recommend that book. And it's funny, like uh, how you think about how important the mind is to healing, and right. even your physical things that are are going on. Just um, the theme of just taking you in as you are, and there's so much to to give back to yourself. Like it can have uh, exponential effects on your life, and uh, and uh, that book is probably the the pinnacle of, of that happening going from it's amazing. Yeah, yes. To where she is. That's you can even so watch cool. like a 20, 30 minute interview with her and get the gist of what she's talking about. You can find awesome. it online. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's a great, great thing to share. Um, this is an interesting question um, because other than you, I don't know that many dating and love coaches. So when you think of a South Asian person that you look up to in your field, who would you say comes to mind and why? Oh man, in my own field. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be love and dating, but okay. just like in the space of healing or, uh, you know, therapy or whatever, um, you know, you can think yeah. of. Yeah. Well, on a broader question in terms of South Asians, I looked up to recently, I've been again, looking up to Gandhiji because I felt like he did so much around seeking truth and sovereignty and decolonizing the mind. And I'm realizing how important that is for us, you know, and how intrinsic that work is. So I, I was just thinking about, wow, like I do really respect him and more and more as time goes on. Um, And then in terms of um, uh, in, in my field, um, I was just thinking about Brahma Kumari. um, What's her name? BK Shivani. I don't know if you've watched her, but she's, She's kind of like this, um, she's not a saint, sorry. She's like a teacher, a spiritual teacher. And she, a lot of her teachings are in Hindi, but she goes between Hindi and English and just talking about relationships and healing and spirituality and just such an easy to understand way for both parents and people our generation. Like, I think she spans across generations. So I really respect her work and what she brings. Awesome. And there's other, by the way, there's one more, um, there's a couple of other experts that I really do look up to, too. Um, there's someone named um, Dr. Ramani Durvashala, and she does work around narcissism. And that's really important work, too. You know, Got so, it. yeah, there are several. Yeah. Um, and one of the words that you said that I stuck on, that I don't know the meaning of, you said Gandhiji promoted decolonizing the mind. Can you explain what, what that means? Yeah, you know, I just feel like a lot of our thinking comes from like a whole set of beliefs from like, yeah, I don't, maybe it's patriarchy, maybe it's not, I don't know. But it's like, how do you release yourself from certain belief systems in order to see things clearly for yourself? Got it. Got it. You know? That's Got it. kind of where I'm coming from. I see it. Okay. That makes total sense. Okay, cool. Um, is there, um, uh, if you can think about it and someone who was in your shoes, who might be in a traditional path or 
is yearning to do something different, like an alternative career path or unconventional career path, what advice would you give them and why? First of all, I would say do it. (laughs) But just like dating, take it slowly and steadily. Spend 30 minutes a day journaling on ideas, you know? Um, and, And, you know, someone had given this habit, like wake up every morning and write down seven new ideas, you know, do things that are like that, that allow you to start thinking creatively. And don't just go for the first idea you have, like, oh, this this sounds great. Let's create a business plan. Let's just do it. I would say, let it grow organically and then work with an intuitive, work with an astrologer, a life coach, you know, there are different people to help you find that alternative, like what alternative career path resonates for you and your soul, because ultimately your soul is here yearning to express itself. You know, every soul has a purpose here. So the closer you can get to what your soul wants to do, you'll find happiness doing that. And it might take some trial and error, you know, do one thing. If you don't like it, do something else. Like the thing with the traditional career path is you're just down, you're just going down one path. And it feels linear, but that doesn't need to be the case if you're doing something alternative. Right. And I think so much of what people get caught up on is, you know, they are, they are not comfortable being uncomfortable where the stability is a much better path than uncomfortability of like, ah, I've done this, been an accountant for 10 years. Like I don't have the capacity to change and it's scary, but um, I love what you said about your your soul has a purpose and a path. And if it's not being fed, then you're going to have this void in your life for so long that um, will be, and you'll feel unfulfilled. And yeah. an unfulfilled life is not a life you want to live, in my opinion. Um, totally. And by the way, I even think motherhood is an unconventional path these days, you sure. know? Serving your community, like it doesn't even mean you have to leave your job. You can start living your purpose outside of your job, you know, and then if it transitions into something different, then it will. Yeah. Um, You mentioned your daughters. Um, And some things I talk about my friends is like breaking the chain of things that you dealt with or you didn't feel like was right for you. So when it comes to dating and love, what things would you tell your daughters as they get to the age of, you know, no. you, I, I'm because like that, that is the, the pinnacle thing is like, will you do yeah. the same thing as your parents? Will you turn into your parents? And my friends and I talk about that all the time. Now that you're a mom, yeah. how would you approach that with your daughters? Well, one thing I definitely say is the reason why it's so important for us as adults to do this work around relationships is so yeah. that we can be a model for our kids. Right. Our greatest role models around love are our parents Sure. on a subconscious level. So I think us modeling, like I do my, I do my best just to model what a loving wife or partner looks like and, you know, elevating her man or making him feel great and, and vice versa, you know, and just appreciate, appreciating each other. And we do have arguments around them too, by the way. And we normalize that too. So I just want to normalize things. I want to normalize sexuality. You know, I want them to feel comfortable with their bodies and not feel ashamed or have some preconceived notions. And, um, you know, when they grow into girls or women, like when they get their periods, I want to celebrate it with them. I want them to honor themselves and their bodies and their soul's uniqueness, you know, so that when they're actually out and dating, it's not so that they're getting some needs fulfilled that we couldn't fulfill for them, you know, or they can't fulfill for themselves, which is where a lot of our dating comes from. It comes from like unfulfilled needs, you know, that we're not, I'd rather them feel whole within so that when they are dating, it's just like for the fun and adventure, you know, and for learning. I love that. I love that. And the modeling and being, being the relationship you want them to aspire to is so powerful. And um, that's amazing. You touched on something that um, I want to talk about before we close is sexuality and intimacy, because that is something that is not talked about a lot. It's such a big layer of, 
uh, a relationship or a, a marriage or whatever you strive to do. But it's again, a taboo topic to talk about with your parents, with your, sometimes with your friends, sometimes even with your partner. Tell us your, um, your thoughts behind that and how to think about it. Think about that side of relationships in a healthy way. Yeah. So one thing I teach women is how to approach their sexuality naturally you know, outside of conditioning, just like what turns you on, what does your body need, even in terms of physical attention, sure. you know, sure. Um, and what gives your body pleasure learning about that. You don't need a partner to learn about that. Yeah. And the reason is that if you're sexually fulfilled from within, or at least learning about yourself, you can heal old traumas, by the way, which a lot of people have sexual trauma. Um, and so you can help create the conditions for healing that trauma and, you know, loving yourself that way. And then getting into a sexual relationship with someone, you know, it, it almost feels like icing on the cake, you know? So I would say as much as possible, like reclaiming that relationship from a non, from a very natural place, Yes, I would say, that's, and that's everyone needs to do this. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Spending time to figure out what you need, not necessarily with a partner, I think is a is a big concept, and mm -hmm. uh, um, and al allowing yourself to, to to be, you know, and going going back to what we were talking about about self love. It's okay, your needs need to be fulfilled mm -hmm. before you can give back to someone else. Um, in every aspect, from a sexual standpoint, from a um, you know love standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, like that's just I love that. I love your approach to to that. Wow. Well, we've covered a lot in the last hour. So, um, and I am, I'm just so um, impressed by how thoughtful you are when it comes to all these things and the, the personal journey that you have made to get to this point. Um, is there anything you want to share before we close anything you want to, to leave the audience with? Honestly, just believe in yourself, believe in the best life that's possible for you. That's my theme for 2022 onwards. It's like create the life that your soul really desires and dream big, you know, and yes. love is a part of that. So bring that, you know, envision that in your life Yeah, and begin living into that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would want to reach out and, and, and get your help professionally. Where can people find you, Sarika? And what's the best way to get in touch. Sure. So one thing I am planning to do is putting together a South Asian guide to dating and love. And so hopefully I can share that link, you know, or people can go to my website yeah. and my website is www.sarikajane.com. So my first name, last name.com. Awesome. And you can find me there. Yeah. And we'll be sure to link that in all our material, but uh, thank you, Sarka for, for being on and, and, all that you do. And for everyone listening, like, you know, if, if you need help, or if you need to get someone to take a look at what's going on and, and maybe provide some breakthroughs, reach out to Sarka and, um, you know, read, read what she's got going on because it'll be, as we said, intentional with your investment on, on dating and, and love and, and it can work out great. So thank you, Sarka, for being on South Asian Stories. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.